and welcome to episode two. Let's call it the sequel of Insight Invites, a brand new Premier Guarantee podcast dedicated to keeping you informed, engaged and up to date on the key issues our industry faces. In this three-part series, we will hear from a range of experts as we discuss the Building Safety Act, its scope and just how it will affect you. The Building Safety Act has been described as the biggest change in safety legislation our industry has seen in a generation. So whether you're a developer, builder, new homeowner, contractor, surveyor, architect, or indeed member of the public, this act will impact you. The question is, how ready are you? The first instalment of this series discussed the Building Safety Act's regulatory teeth. In this episode, we are going to discuss the legal bite. With a leading legal mind in Sean Garbutt and a new homes warranty expert in James McGloin, this episode will explore the potential dangers and legal consequences of not abiding by the Act, as well as looking at the key roles warranties could play in the future. So I'm delighted to welcome and introduce our first guest, Sean Garbutt. Sean is a senior associate in Gowling's WLG's contentious construction team and has significant experience in construction litigation and dispute resolution. He is one of a small number of lawyers nationally to have litigated cladding disputes to trial. And given the fact that we've booked you today, Sean, I'm sure you've agreed to waiver any fee. Well, maybe. Our second guest I'm a bit more familiar with. But familiarity in this case doesn't breed any contempt, only a good deal of respect, because as a colleague of his, I know how knowledgeable and passionate he is about the construction industry and recognise the terrific benefits he brings to our team and our clients. So I'm delighted to welcome and introduce our second guest, James McGloin. Good afternoon. That's quite interesting. Thank you, Martin. James has worked within the property building and insurance industry for over 20 years and is a passionate advocate of Premier Guarantee's role in helping the house building sector achieve the very highest of standards. As Regional Director for London, James heads up the team for Premier Guarantee's largest region. Welcome both. Welcome, thank you. Thanks for having me. So now we have your ears pricked with talk of compliance and the potential impact of non-compliance and legals getting involved. Let's get down to the nitty gritty stuff. So Sean, I think I'll, I'll open this one up with you. So let's crack on, if we may. The Building Safety Act, from a legal perspective, hasn't emerged in isolation. It hasn't just appeared on the radar. So are you able to briefly provide a more rounded view of the legal framework that has gone before this Act? Yeah, sure, Martin. I mean, obviously, with all things building safety, the, the, the starting point is the Grenfell tragedy on the 14th of June 2017. And, it, and it's always worth taking it step back just to think you know unfortunately 72 people died uh that evening as further 70 people injured is you know the biggest loss of life outside of wartime in this country for, for hundreds of years and following from that that there, there had to be legislative response and sort of a couple of wheels sort of were put in motion quite quickly after the ground fell so the first of that was uh, an independent review into uh, building regulations and fire safety and that was chaired and produced by dame judith hackett who, I suppose it's fair to say, produced a fairly scathing report as to the application and 
enforcement of building regulatory matters. Her report was produced on the 17th of May 2018. And that, that as I said, was, was a wider look at building regulations and fire safety. But there was also the Grenfell inquiry, public inquiry, which was chaired by um, ex-judge Sir Martin Moore Bick. And his inquiry has gone into two phases. So the first phase, which was the report, was published in October 19, focused on the events that happened on the night. And then uh, following the publish of the phase one report, there's the phase two inquiry, which closed towards the end of last year, I think, and we are awaiting that report. And that's looking more at sort of what caused the events on that night as opposed to actually what happened on the night. On on a legislative front, so aside from the, the public inquiry, legislative front, the first statutory response was the Fire Safety Act, which was brought in in 2021. And that, that was subject to a lot of political ping-ponging between the House of Lords and, and the House of Commons, which is probably surprising given that it's only actually four paragraphs long. It took, it took a number of months to get through Parliament. And the Fire Safety Act was effectively a, a way of trying to ensure that fire risk assessments uh, took into account the, the entirety of a building and didn't uh, deliberately exclude sort of structure of the building or common areas, that sort of thing. But that, that was very much a precursor and, and the main sort of legislative response. It, it was the Building Safety Act, which uh, even as a bill, that took probably best part of 18 months to go through Parliament, but it finally received royal assent in April 2022. So coming on to a year now, and there's a, there's a lot to be said about this, which is why we're here today. In in terms of it, it's still fairly early days, although we're working through the Building Safety Act as we go along. But are you, are you noticing, I know you're a fairly specialist in terms of what you do, any difference in terms of engagement from the construction industry as a whole in terms of asking for legal advice and, and legal interpretations yet? Yes, I mean, I I suppose there's there's two, two ends to it. There's There's those that are involved with buildings that have already been built and may have been built over the last 30 years now and there is a sort of a fairly understandable concern about sort of a a large additional liability being placed on it's not just contractors but developers um, specialist subcontractors designers and and still occupiers leaseholders operators of these buildings it covers the whole whole ambit so you get the sort of claims element, I suppose, of wanting to know what's, what's happening with existing buildings. But the, I'd say sort of as big, if not bigger, is sort of concern about ongoing operation of buildings and procurement of new buildings, particularly given that there's a certain elements of the Building Safety Act which are coming in incrementally is sort of how to transition, I suppose, into, into the new age of, of building safety. And that's a, there's a lot, as I say, a lot to be said about it. Okay, now on that side of things, more on the commercial side then, Sean, is there any uh, pickup in terms of things like contractual elements or terms of business or anything like that? People starting to look at those elements of working through construction uh, projects as well. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's probably fair to say the market hasn't really settled yet in terms of where where people are looking in terms of obligations, design obligations, liabilities, like limitation periods. Obviously, the Build and Safety Act extended the liability period to 15 years for new build properties. So, sort of contractually, where, where do you lie when you've got a you might have a deed that only has a 12 year limitation period already in place? There's there's a lot of sort of behind the scenes negotiations and trying to work out how that plays in with professional indemnity and in other insurances. So yeah, there's a lot of thought that needs to be gone into it. But also, okay. Sean, it's responsibilities of directors that's changing as well. And I have to, I've had conversations with developers recently and I know the reason we're here today, obviously, to talk about this and to, you know, get it out in the public forum and let developers understand, you know, it is changing. But some of them still really haven't got any idea how much this is actually going to affect them and actually, you know, how their responsibilities are changing. It's quite far reaching, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, the probably the, the biggest takeaway, particularly for, for those involved with, with building sort of these buildings or, or any buildings, in fact, is that non-compliance with the building regulations can, can attract personal liability now to directors managers yeah. um, of companies and that that's something that basically simply didn't exist beforehand mm-hmm. and you know, it it is a it is an area of concern because you know, say you know it, it's complete new liability yeah but even within like spvs and so on it's changed the liability via that hasn't it as well because there's recourse through that process as well isn't there yes completely so you know not not unheard of building projects to be procured you know with with, as you say spvs shell companies that yeah build it and then company gets put into the ether and you know hopefully all the liability dissolved that that does not stick anymore so Mm. you know historic ways of procuring works do need to be thought of and you know there are many new and inventive ways to pierce the corporate veil Love the phrase "pierce the corporate veil." That's that's excellent, and and also thank you for keeping James McGloin quiet for ten minutes. Because anyone who's tried that, that's that's exceptionally well done. I think, Sean. So, given the fact, given the fact he's he's already chipped in, I'll I'll go with him for the next question because I think he's feeling quite comfortable now. Uh, so, James, at Premier Guarantee's recent Insight Conference, you said, and I'll quote you on this. So, tell me if go I'm on. wrong. This yeah. may well be the end of people seeing a warranty certificate as a piece of paper in reference to the potential financial penalties for failure to comply. Can you expand a little bit on this for us, James? Yeah, sure. Um, often, unfortunately, I hear I hear developers, normally when it comes down to the cost of the of the warranty, that you know, there are other options out there. I've heard the line too often is, look, all I want is a bit of paper at the end that says I can sell it, which is awful, really. And that's not their fault. Unfortunately, it's been allowed, it's been allowed to happen. You know, the industry is formed where there are a fair amount of choice out there. There are a few options out there for warranties, and they're not all equal, which is hard for them. There's a lot of noise. You can't really draw comparison, direct comparison to one person's policy against another one. So it makes it hard to explain that. Obviously, brokers can do that. They can they can go through policies and sort of pull them apart and do it. But for the average developer, they probably don't have the ability to sit there and go through that or understand what some of the policy terms mean. So. I think they're left just going, well, they're all the same. I'm allowed to do it. No one's stopping me using it. My friends have used this company in the past. It's all been fine and they're able to sell it. And that's what I really care about. And that's a shame because the policyholder, the end user at the end, hasn't had the ability to choose who they want their home insured by in terms of a warranty. Not all policies are the same, unfortunately. 
Can you just uh, describe in a little bit of detail some of the policy differentials that people should be looking out for? Some of the things that, that are important to different types of developers on different projects that, that, you know, things aren't always the same. No, they're not. I think I, I think I use this example as well, actually, during the insight event. Excess levels, same as anything else. If you if you go in and take car insurance policy right now, you know, you can set your excess and it might be £100, £200, and you can suggest what you want and move that around. When it comes to a building, obviously, you know, the excesses aren't going to be small as that. But you could set an excess. A warranty provider could have an excess, which is actually too far away from the policyholder's ability to actually pay that excess to do anything about it. Now, that might be okay if it's a big a PRS company, for instance, who has the building, has it insured, they're going to be maintaining the building for a number of years and looking after it. And they want the policy there for a doomsday scenario where they, you know, they, there is an absolute massive problem. It's a, a huge rebuild and they're happy to pay a lot, very large excess to, to doing that. But if it's a smaller element, for instance, the roof needs replacing, having a quarter of a million pound excess is probably too large for a normal policyholder, a homeowner to pay that collectively between a group of people. I think it's probably too much. If it was £10,000 or £50,000, that's more accessible, I guess. And that's something that I think is brought into. Other elements could be parts of the building not perhaps included. Car parking, for instance, you know, there could be an issue with a car park and it's not included in the policy, but the policyholder's car is down there. They can't use the car park properly. So one thing the government has mentioned, actually, in the potential changes is that Every part of a, of a building that a policyholder or a homeowner has the ability to use or enjoy, that should be included in the warranty. And that's really important because, again, they haven't had the ability to choose that warranty. So why should they be at disadvantage? Because some decided to pay a lot less to get a policy in place. On whose shoulders should this really be, James? Should this be on the, the policyholders themselves or in, in terms of yourself? How, how much detail do, do we need to go? Do we not spend enough time with clients going through some of this? Or is, is it just one of the things where you mentioned as a result of, of what you mentioned previously, a certificate being a piece of paper? I think ultimately, you know, it would appear obviously that the government also thinks the same as well, that it should be down to the developer who's put the policy in place to really, really be looking at those, to understand what it is they're buying, really, and, and to not think of it as a bit of paper, and to understand the benefits to them to have a good policy in place, the benefits to the eventual homeowners, the policyholders in the end. Because if it is going to be 15 years, like we're talking about, that's a long time. You know, they need to look after those people. I think that's probably the, the fairest way it should be done. And they're also talking about, you know, being a, a compliant policy, which is, you know, we're talking about minimum standards here, I suppose. And a compliant warranty is something that will encompass all of these elements to make it accessible to a policyholder. I, th I think you've sort of opened the, the gate in terms of 15 years. We're going to cover that in a, in a, in a bit more detail in a few minutes' time, uh, which will be an interesting discussion in itself. But I'll, I'll move on to Sean for the next question, really. So in terms of can you tell us about the sanctions for breaching building regulations, Sean? Obviously, the, the penalty has increased under the Building Safety Act, hasn't it? Or, or the emphasis in terms of penalties? Yes, very much so. so. I mentioned earlier that there was a probably quite a scathing response from Dame Judith Hackett when she was undertaking her review and probably can't do much better than, than quote her directly. And, and her view was that there was inadequate regulatory oversight and enforcement of building regulations. And where enforcement is necessary, it is often not pursued. And where it is pursued, the penalties are so small as to be an ineffective deterrent. So what was the uh, ineffective deterrence? Well, before the Building Safety Act, the maximum liability to a company was a £5,000 fine. And, and, and that was it. That, that There has been a, a sea change under the, uh, under the Building Safety Act. It is now an unlimited fine and it is also up to two years imprisonment. 
and obviously a company you do very well to put a company in jail but you can put the managers or the directors in jail if it if it can be shown that they have caused well the exact phrases the consent connivance or neglect of a manager or secretary or director to see that those building regulations have not been followed and you know a, a two-year custodial sentence is not something anyone i, I imagine is, is going to sign up to quite quite readily yeah i, th- I think the, the accountability comes with it with the roles as well as part of the the building safety act we, we discussed yesterday the roles of principal contractors principal designers and accountable persons is, is part and parcel of the the building safety act so those people in those particular roles will have to familiarize them themselves with with their duties and responsibilities and competencies and align that with potential consequences i suppose absolutely so you know the the new building safety regulator and we, we heard from colin blatchford brown at the the insight event you know the, the regulator has powers and the regulator will be using those powers you know there, there's various various obligations to sort of comply with and keep the building safety regulator in, informed and again penalties to those are, are, are the same as failing to comply with the building regulations you, you, can, you can be fined and you can be imprisoned so it's it, it's to be taken seriously Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think times are changing on that front and accountability is certainly uh, the buzzword within our industry at the moment and competency as well. We're, we're aligned with that. James, just going on to you, still covering on the Building Safety Act, but looking at part five. Now, th- this is more up your street, Sean, in terms of part five, section 144, etc, etc. I know so- well. Yeah, part five, section 144 of the Act refers to a subject that you mentioned just a few minutes ago in terms of 15 year warranties. Can you sort of enlighten us or, or tell us of your understanding of this? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know a great deal yet other, other than what was, what was in Section 5, page 144, is that there'll be 15 years will be, will be needed to be put in place by the developer at the time of the transfer sale of the property. That's really all we know right now. My understanding is that it's going to take some secondary legislation to get that in place. So it's probably a little bit way off, I'd imagine. But there are some unknowns as well in terms of we don't know what the... Sort of the transitional period for this actually coming into place is once that legislation is placed is it going to be something more akin to building control whereby if you've started a foundation by a certain date then that building would be part of those building rigs so therefore could they follow that suit and that building now would be have to be liable for a 15-year warranty or and this is the other option here is, is that if they're saying if the wording says it's from the from the sale or the transfer are they going to say that everything as of this date that's sold or transferred needs to have a 15-year warranty on it and then that's slightly a bit more worrying really because that could mean that there are sites currently now that are under construction that may suddenly need to have a 15-year warranty in place now those developers contracts and so on will already be talking to a warranty provider and will already be working to a technical manual or technical standards of a warranty provider, but probably on the basis of a 10-year warranty or a 50 or a 12-year warranty if it's social housing. So they're now going to have to have conversations with the provider and say, as of this day, I'm going to have to put a 15-year warranty in place. So that's going to, that could be quite an interesting change in the market. So uh, if actually that could be done. You mentioned market, and it is a market out there, and it, it, it's, a, it's a risk-based market. From from what you know of the market, uh, what's what's the appetite in terms of potentially a 15-year warranty? Okay, um, from an insurer's point of view, I don't think they're 
particularly keen on having to go to 15 years. There's quite a lot of unknowns about the building anyway in terms of materials and, and so on. So some, some materials have, have only got a, a guarantee or warranty in place for, for 20 years, for instance, like roofing products. So suddenly now, if you're starting to go to 15 years, you're getting pretty close to the life expectancy possible of those products. So there could be some testing that needs to be done for products to see if they can actually go further because they can run, run the course a bit further than that. So that's one part of that. The other thing is, in terms of the collection of claims data after sort of years 10 and year 12, as far as I know, not many people actually collect that data because no one has to. So we don't really know how the building's performing after that date. So I guess it's sort of, they've been asked to possibly insure something. They haven't really got the information on how best to insure it or, or what those loss ratios could be. So that's tricky in, in its own sense. And that then, you have to look at the appetite of an insurer to want to do that. I think I remember mentioned this in the Insight event as well. Is this is like a, a long tail insurance where you know you get paid once, and then you're insuring that for for ten or now fifteen years possibly for an, for a known amount for for an unknown risk. That's hard. Fifteen years, you know. Uh, again, car insurance mentioned earlier on. You know, you do that every year. It's annual renewal. It's it's a far more transparent way of insuring insuring something. And I guess on that basis, are insurers going to want to do it? And I don't think all are going to want to do it. You know, latent defects hasn't been the greatest for, for insurers over recent years. Some have left the market. Some syndicates decided not to do any more LDI for a while. And it's, it's a hard new market. So I can see some of those insurers deciding they don't want to continue within that further. That could pose problems for warrant providers because most have what's called a carrier. So there'll be a provider that you know the face of it. And behind that, there'll be an underwriter or an insurer behind that. Again, they'll have contracts they renew every year, every couple of years. They may not want to renew those contracts with those warrant providers. Therefore, I can see some warrant providers falling away because they haven't got the availability to suddenly jump to another insurer and say, well, look, they're leaving. Would you come on board? I can see that not happening there. So that's going to be a tightening of the market further, I, I think. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We ourselves, I think, are quite unique. We're actually owned by an insurer. So that helps us, that gives us security and support. And their view certainly is, well, look, if it's something we have to do, then we want to, we want to be able to support you and we want to support the market for it. And our aim is to put ourselves in that position to do so. Yeah, so you use the phrase tightening. Uh, consolidation might be another way of describing it, but it, it's likely that it will impact potentially on, on, on some of the insurers playing a part in the market going forward, I, I'm assuming, is what are your thoughts? I think so, yeah. Well, James, I'm just interested to know, because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of consultation and we're awaiting regulations and everything on these warranties but is there been much talk about the 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 structure of how the policies might look in the future because obviously at the moment you have the sort of the two and eight year split yeah. has there been much talk about how that might look in a 15 year warranty or are we still still taking a guess at the moment we're taking a guess, to be honest with you. It, it is one of the things that was mentioned on page 145, I think, in actual fact, whereby it's potential changes. And that included this sort of, you said the sort of the two and 10, you know, two and eight, where the defects period could be up for review as well. Mm-hmm. As I said, you know, we, we know the two years plus the eight to make it 10 or two plus that to make it up to the 12 year for social housing. There was there was murmurings at one point about possibly taking that to, to a five year defects period. I've heard nothing about taking it from 15 to 17 years. I think it more likely it, it will just top out at 15 years. I think it's the most likely there because I think it's hard enough getting from from 10 to 15 to try and start going up to 17. It's going to be really, really tricky. So I think it's probably going to end there. But a five year defect back to a developer would seriously, seriously change market again 
even down to the, the way a developer would seek a contractor. So the contract may have a, a one-year defects period back to the developer or a two-year under negotiation of contract. How are they going to get to five years? <laughs> that, that's serious. You know, that, that's a really, really big move there. There could be an emergence of something called a CAR policy, contractor or risk policy, whereby that may have a slight dovetailing and a, a slight insurance policy would pay out if there were defects within a that period to help towards that, I suppose. So you may see emergence of those improving somewhere. But yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting time, I think, Sean. Yeah, I think you men- mentioned interesting time. And I, I reflect on the fact you're showing off by the fact you just said you've read up 245 pages. That's 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 really good. So congratulations on that one, if nothing else. <laughs> but ch- changes in the market are something which is certainly happening in terms of clients, customers, ourselves, those delivering it. What's your sort of key messages to those listening who might be apprehensive about all the changes uh, uh, that are coming down? From a warranty aspect, again, there's two parts, I think, to that question. There is, I think, the, sort of the technical support element to that, where I think you got to probably look at early engagement with who you're talking to. And in, in terms of the consultancies as well that you're dealing with, I think you've got to start you know, stress testing your designs and so on and, and going through it in that sense, I think, really. I know that from our perspective, Martin, from the building control team, they've been quite heavily involved in companies looking at consultancy to sort of play devil's advocates, there's one of their expression there really, to look at their designs and see, is it going to get to Gateway 2? Are you are you prepared enough for it? And I think that's that's the interesting thing about the whole thing is that because it's still such an unknown, you know, and, and one person said, oh, we're, you know, we're RIBA stage three. Perhaps they're not quite, but others, someone else might consider it to be stage two or stage two plus. And so, so I think that's there's a bit could be some stumbling blocks there if you're not prepared um, enough in that sense there. So I th- I'd certainly say seek consultancy, seek some help, stress test your designs, speak to us if you want, want to talk to about that, and we'll happily try and put a team together to look at your designs for you. I think it's probably best way of putting that in there. And then when it comes to warranty side of that, it sounds a bit self-serving here, but I think you've really you've got to look at who, who's going to be around when you're building this. Really, you know, who, who is going to be here? Uh, have they got longevity? Is the provider a good provider? Is the insurer behind them a good insurer? Are they going to be able to adapt to whatever changes the government may bring in? Uh, I think that's the soundest advice I can give there. Yeah, I can definitely concur with what you mentioned in terms of building control. From that side of things, we've seen early engagement with the clients. Clients are a lot more positive on that front to to get talking Mm -hmm. to us as early in the process as possible. It's always been quite prescriptive in terms of the process, but Gateway 2 has certainly focused the minds of of those project teams. And we're certainly happy to be involved with those project teams as early as possible because I think it helps all elements of those teams. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does help us. And unfortunately, I think warranty, uh, you know, the bit of paper I mentioned earlier on, it's always been a sort of secondary thought. It's the last thing someone wants to put in place. And so suddenly it's getting flipped on its head. It's going the other direction now. And actually people are talking to us far sooner. It also means that we are going to be getting the designs far sooner and actually have a pack that we can actually look at and review. Um, rather than in the last minute, we're always trying to get the information out of someone towards the end where people want to sign off and they haven't got the information there for us to, to do so. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that is positive. I can only see positive coming out of that. So that that's certainly good. And finally, Sean, we'll let you have the final word. And in, in, in terms of James getting in front of you, that will be an achievement. What what advice would you give to our listeners, sort of the builders, developers, and contracts, and and everyone affected by this act from from a legal perspective? The way that this act will will affect you will very much depend on what your precise role is. You know, if if you're a contractor, then you've, you've potentially you've 
historically you may have have a lot of liabilities and sort of prospectively as well there's you know there's going to be a lot of different hoops to jump through to keep your clients happy from from developer point of view you know obviously james is 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 touched on sort of the issues with with warranties but also the gateway planning process and and you know things that we haven't touched on sort of like the developers pledge that's that's come out we, we don't know what the what the the teeth to that is going to be yet because we're still awaiting the regulation so i mean i, I suppose the answer is you've, you've got to carry on keep keeping on watching this space and yeah. that there will be <laughs> there will be regulations coming out there will be further developments and the best way to try and protect yourself <laughs> from from any of that is to you know keep on top of it basically what you don't want to be doing is carry on carrying on that and following the status quo when things are changing so keep on top and keep talking to people fantastic advice uh, and fantastic in the fact it's free legal advice which is which is great <laughs> for everyone concerned uh, you know past performance doesn't guarantee future success and um, <laughs> you know, please seek independent advice <laughs> You're, you're better with words than I, I'm sure. That's why you're in the industry you're in. So that, that's good stuff. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. An enormous thank you to our guests, Sean Garber and James McGloin, for sharing their time and insight with us. If you wish to learn more about the Building Safety Act and indeed other industry updates, you can do so by subscribing to Insight, Premier Guarantee's hub of knowledge and expertise. The link can be found on our website and social media channels. Finally, Thank you for listening. This has been Premier Guarantees Insight Invites. See you next time for our final episode.